for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It happens to all of us. You send out a call and boom, a response. You follow the script, move in and find the perfect setup, throw out another call and then crickets. Just what went wrong? Was it something you did? Is there something you could have done differently? Well, y'all, on today's show, it's all about mistakes or misreading the situation when it comes to an elk's response. Just what are those mistakes and what are some possible solutions? That discussion, our Elk Bros shout-outs and questions from our Austin Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Brought to you by ElkGrows.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for his blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and joining me tonight, we got the full crew. All your elk hunting coaches are in the house. We got the Venezuelan mafia in the house tonight, Mr. Luis Gonzalez from Katy, Texas, and Manano Gratoron from Big D. That's Dallas, Texas. We got the legend in the house from Cuesta, New Mexico, Mr. R.C. Knox, and the ninja from Cimarron, New Mexico, Mr. Leroy Chavez. And that's right, WWJGD is in the house and ready to tee it up. What's going on, fellas? What's up, brothers? What's happening, guys? It's getting close. Been a while since the core of bros team's been together. 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. been a while for the Absolutely, yeah, guys. Tonight mafia... is episode 199. Yeah. <laughs> episode well, I mean, when, when the mafia is together, then, then, then Gilbert decides not to show up. And it just messed <laughs> up. And I don't know. Right. I mean, I remember you missing a podcast, and it's just not yeah, right. And then Joel yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. tell you right now, if you go to that podcast, <laughs> I'm on that podcast. I don't know. I don't Sadly know. mistaken. Yeah, those additions and recording afterwards, they don't <laughs> really count. It don't matter. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah. No, no, no. Man. Yeah. I, yeah. I gotta say this, Beto, don't quit, bro, because Elbros without you. I'm never gonna quit, bro. No. And listen, those, that was not my call, brothers. Yeah, I know that, but you have to take it. Please don't, don't quit, bro. <laughs> Joe is pretty smart, but let Joe just, you know, teach people the woods. <laughs> hey, Manano, hey, Manano, who, uh, who gave you that haircut on those glasses, man? <laughs> what is up with that? Uh, 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 honestly, seriously, this I mean, is. I I encourage everybody to just go to the very first YouTube time channel I'm and just laugh looking at Manano. I'm, I'm blind, bro. <laughs> I'm blind. Getting blind. Yeah, honestly. Uh, that 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 happens, man. That happens. You know, when it comes to old age, you know. I mean, uh, <laughs> next next year, you know. Uh, you got glasses, Joe. I'm gonna celebrate my 62nd birthday next year, and I hope I look as good as you, bro. You know, man, I was looking. Yo, no you may kids, be kidding dude, about it, but I was looking at all videos of oh, us dude. hunting. And man, I actually, I was looking at the bear hunt, the time that we, you know, you yes. killed your elk and we yeah. killed the bear. Man, I didn't have, Manano didn't right even there. have white hair Manano on his head. Like 19, dude. He looked like he, man, I'm telling and, you. And, and, and from there to now, that was 2019 and it almost looked like 30 years has gone by for Manano. <laughs> Bro, I got, I got no kids. And episode, yes. look, what episode are we on now? One ninety nine. The big one's coming. Episode two hundred's coming up. Right. Yep. yep. And the title of that's going to be Celebrating. Nano's getting old. <laughs> celebrating the journey, man. And let me tell you, on celebrating the journey, people will see where we were to where we are. And and we're gonna find out, man. We're gonna just see, you know, this guy's always calling me silverback. Oh man, blue, blue. <laughs> You just wait, man. You just wait. You let's 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 see with this journey. Hey Manano, what happened that time y'all y'all went by them guys on the on the trail and then they told you afterwards, man, we saw an old man and That was Luis. (laughs) (laughs) Luis said that we saw an old man. It was with his son. Oh, it's so oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's very old, but he carries himself way, uh, very good, you know, regardless of his, his very advanced age. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, yeah. All, all I, I want everybody to know, man, is those boys with, that made that comment went home empty. Our boys did not, right? Yeah, so, right. We went home with a, yeah. So we, we would come out heavy that we, that year for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So everybody needs to know too. We want to go ahead and announce that Gil episode 200 celebrating the journey. Um, what's that going to be like? It's going to be a live show, Joe, here on our YouTube channel. Be taking live calls, 
questions on our Elk Bros hotline number. That's 505-585-2573. That's 505-585-2573. So you guys tee it up. We'll be ready to hit it deep and take all the questions, man. It won't go totally unleashed, but we're going to have a lot of fun that night. <laughs> we're not going to unleashed at all, man. <laughs> but if my Duparche is on the call, oh, you know it's got a it's not going to be good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Got out to my brother Guy. He got it done in the Lone Star State. Uh, went in there and, and braved the heat. Him and his buddy tagged two really beautiful axis deer. Got it done with their bows. They sat up there sweltering 107 degree heat. Uh, he said it was the longest 17 hour ride back he's ever had. He was so wore out. He said, man, we really didn't do that much, but sit up in the heat the whole time. So but, but get this dude. He texts me from his phone, right? And he's like, He's like, all these things are making these sounds and stuff. And he's like, I'm starting to play with the grinder and trying to mimic them, right? And I was like, dude, there ain't no way I'm sitting in that blind at that temperature. Uh, dude, I'm, I'm like calling something in. I mean, it, there's no way. And so he starts doing it. And doggone, he goes, man, they're, they, he's texting me. He's like, they're responding, they're responding. And he ends up calling in the Axis buck and smoking that dude at 27 yards, man. Jeez, that's awesome. A beautiful deer, man. Beautiful deer and a good, he put a good shot on him. And, uh, at the end of the day, those axis deer are super tough. Uh, he really doesn't understand what he's done. Uh, taking an axis with your, with your bow is an extremely tough scenario. They're so smart. They're so wary. They got such a great nose, great eyesight, man. And, uh, I mean, they're one of the true Texas trophies here, uh, with your bow, that and a nil guy. And I'm telling you, it was, uh, it's so hot down here. It's the rut time for them, uh, mid June to late July, August. He's making in 103 degree weather, man. That weekend, that weekend I was out on the least and, and it, it, it was brutal. I mean, oh the temperatures were over 108, 109 degrees base temperatures and with the, uh, the, the thermal sensation was close to 100. Fifteen. <laughs> I, I don't know there. who's selling ammo in these days, but I know you know his uniform on that day came down to his underwear. He stripped down to his chones, dude. He had his shirt hanging up in yeah. there. You know, had to keep the sun off of him, man. It <laughs> yeah. was he was up in a little tree ladder, and I'm telling you, I, I've been there. You know, I killed a, a thirty-six by thirty-six. I mean, an absolute giant axis hanging in my living room, and I had to hunt for him three days on a really good friend of mine's ranch who absolutely grows some of the largest axis deer in the state of Texas. The name of that ranch is South Hills Ranch, and Mr. Bill Watson has an unbelievable uh ranch there. And I'm telling you, it took me three days sitting in a hot box to get these axes figured out. And uh and then you man look when they come in they're so nervous. They want to jump every string and I mean I got lucky and I, I shot him at, at right at 30 yards and I mean it was a goat roping man because that some gun liked to run through the blind with me when I hit him and um, <laughs> it was a goat roping. Is that what you call it, dude? Yeah, a it's a goat roping man. I'm telling you, it's uh, it, it, I had him. It, it got pure western, but I mean, you know, deer died within I don't know, probably 45 yards of the blind, but. If you've ever hunted in South Texas, 45 yards from your blind can seem like half a mile because it's yeah, oh yeah. all stickers and yeah. brush that has bad attitudes and lots of critters. 
after poke you. So, I mean, God did a great job and, um, and they retrieved both their animals. I mean, unbelievable. When you talk about bow hunting in South Texas, it's a, it's a tough choice. you see how long his, uh, blood trail was? Yeah, man. DRT, dude. Yeah. Dead right there. 1.5 feet was his blood trail, man. (laughs) That's how you want to do it, baby. I mean, drilled him. Knock him down, keep him down. That's what I Especially, especially in South Texas. And man, he's hunting 65 miles north of my ranch, you know, uh, in, I know exactly the country he's hunting in, maybe 70 miles, but I mean, it's brutal. It's brutal country. Uh, it's hot, lots of snakes. I mean, you know, uh, anyway, shout out to the yeah, Western, I do Planche, got it done. Western Contours podcast, uh, extraordinary guy Duplanche and his buddy from Pack em Out Apparel, man. They got it done. Yep. Yes, sir. So let's, uh, let's move Pretty over to cool. Elk Bros mailbox. Chav, you want to start us out, brother? Okay. Uh, our first, uh, two questions are from Aubrey Strickland from the state of Washington. And she asks, after putting up a game cam, how long do you wait before you go check on it, and how often should you enter the area? Well, if you don't have the, that Wi-Fi internet stuff, uh, uh, I'm not sure how often you want to go in there. But if you do, just go in the middle of the day when they're bedded down, and I, I don't think you'll disturb a whole lot. Any any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, you know, Aubrey, you need to check your rules and regulations because a lot of states, including New Mexico, do not allow Wi-Fi cameras and cellular cameras. Uh, to check, to be out there for scouting for elk or, or hunting for them. So yeah. it's okay as long as it doesn't have Wi-Fi or camera or. Yeah, if you go uh, pull a card. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, if you just go and pulling cards, you can use them in New Mexico, but you might check your regs to make sure that those cell cameras with Wi-Fi are, you know, are usable in Washington. But if they are, then yeah, man, I, you know, I check mine weekly when I, you know, when I go to the ranch or something like that. Hey, so what, what, what if they're on like a five day hunt and they put out cameras, right? You know, uh, and I, I can kind of see what, where this question is going. I want, I haven't, and I I was like, man, I got to back out of this because I have never used a game cam in my life. And yeah. Yeah, and but I know that there's a lot of people who go out and set one up in an area, and you know just see what's happening, and you know that's a great point, Joe. I mean, everything from, I mean, the the depend depends is pretty much the answer here. Um, to your point, is is it a temporary camera? How long is your hunt? Right. Um, also, what is, where are the capabilities of, of the batteries of that camera or, you know, the capabilities of the memory of the camera? Um, so, um, yeah, it, it all, it all depends, right? I mean, if you're, if it's just during your hunt and you're dead for two weeks, um, you know, every other day in the middle of the day, as Chap mentioned, is probably a good idea to go and check it. And the sun will and, burn off any scent. Depending on where it's at is if it's on a wallow or something like that, you don't want to go in there midday. It's very see, true. You want to yeah. see, you know, may want to see if the animals are going in there midday, but you got to pick a day to go in there and check it out. I, you know, if I'm hunting probably every couple of days, I'm checking it and, uh, you know, if we can pattern them. If I'm there scouting, I'm probably checking it every couple of days uh, and seeing what the elk movement are. The big thing is trying to pattern the animal's movements, you know, and uh, that's what you're trying to do. But 
for me, it's you're 100% like Luis said, everything depends on your scenario, right? Are we hunting private land? Are we hunting public land? Are you hunting over, you know, are you hunting over a clear cut? Are you hunting over, a, you know, uh, you know, any kind of burn? Are you hunting over water? Are you hunting over a walla? I mean, those are things that go into how long we let it sit. No, I, I, to me, and this is just me, but on during the actual hunt, I almost think that, I mean, it might give you something to do there, but I almost think it's a waste of your resource. I really do. It's not. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've been around people sure that have know. game cams all over the ranch and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I don't know many times during a hunt period, right? I, that they've killed, uh, an elk that they got on a game cam, right? Because there's so much activity going on, you know, especially if you're, if you're hunting the rut time of year and those elk are moving around, the pressure caused, caused them to move and change some of their stuff, you know, um, I, and if you're the, like the whole wallow and water thing to me, yeah, you can see which critters are coming in there okay. at certain times, but, and, and maybe you can see if there's a pattern, but like I, I've had access to see some cams here lately and I don't really see patterns. I see hit or miss because they might go to this water source this day because the mm-hmm. cows led them to a feed area here and ended up going to another feed area. So they hit a different water source. <clears throat> I just, to me, it's almost a waste of your resource to me. Um, there might be a lot of people I think, are, nah, no, it, you know, it, you know, we've had a lot of look, maybe like in Arizona or someplace, you know, those places that, and I think they've restricted those during hunting seasons in a bunch of states now, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially some, if you're Wi-Fi or, or yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah I like mean, Arizona, there's no game cams, I think, during the hunting season. Utah, I, either, right? So, I, do, I think you got a point, Joe, because um, at the end of the day, when, you know, the style of hunting that we do, mm-hmm. um, we're looking for sign. Okay, so the sign is going to be there. Um, you know, if, if if you're inspecting an area, you know if the elk have been there or not, based on the sign. Um, the camera is just really confirming exactly what kind what of animal. How big is that cow? How big is that uh, that bull? Or multiple, but, um, or multiple yeah. cows. Yeah. yeah. Which no, would you still? The sign is still kind of tell you that. You know if. And- I'm going to kind of argue with myself a little bit. I'm going to be the devil's advocate to, to Joe as well. It's like if I was solo and maybe there were other areas that I was wondering if there were elk in that country, mm-hmm. right? I might set something up that on makes a sense. trail or in an area mm-hmm. to see something and then yeah, hunt. You're trying to cover more area. Yeah, and then I might hunt one area, you know, for two days. And if I didn't have any luck, I might go pop during midday and pop those cameras and see if there's – you know, right. something in that area, not necessarily to give me a time, a day that they're there, but just to let me know that there's critters in the area. Right. I think you're right on as far as make sure that you go midday because of the sunshine. The sunshine will burn your sand off better than anything. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think Chav hit that all right. And so Aubrey, to help you and not just say you shouldn't use them. I mean, yeah, there can be a reason why, especially if you're solo or even if you're with a partner and you guys don't have the resource to check other areas and you just want to see what's in there. Um, I, what I would do is set them. I'd give them two days, just, you know, a chance for to see if that there's something in that area, hunt 
another spot that I think is my spot A, and if spot A doesn't pan out, I'm going to go midday. You know, we can split up. You know, buddy, go pull them from one. You pick them from one and pull those and see what critters are in those areas. Might tell you something and give you an option B to do, you know, and uh, I, I think that's, you know, a way to look at it. So. Okay, the second question is a little bit longer. Uh, it says, I am uh, group hunting this year. My question is, if one of us gets an elk down, what effect does this have on the area? Will the other elk move out? How long will they stay gone? Can we keep working the area, or do we need to move on? I know I have heard you guys talk about having multiple bulls down at once, but the scenario I am curious about is getting only one down, then we begin breaking the animal down and packing it out. But once that's done, can we come back to the area immediately or have that high, or have they hightailed it out of there? In my Get experience. A bear tag. <laughs> yeah, my, my experience is, uh, you know, after three days, there's almost nothing left of that animal. But I think as early as the following day, there's still going to be activity in that area. Right. You know, that's, that's the way I, I have observed. So, you know, that, mm-hmm. what, what are you guys' thoughts Most on definitely. that? Yeah, I mean, how long would, so Manano killed his cow, uh, and how long was it after that I killed that bull there? Next day, wasn't it? Just next, next day. Later. In the morning. The next, yeah. next morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next morning, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I think that, I think they're used to animals being killed by other predators and, and stuff like that. So I think it's an, almost an everyday occurrence for them, you know, they can avoid that little tiny area, but they're still going to be in the area. I end up calling the bull in at Manano, or that uh, Luis almost almost shot at. He drew on him. Yeah, he drew on the bull. I ended up killing him the next couple of days later on a bull. We both, we both drew on that bull, Manano and I. Yeah. Yeah. Now we. So yeah, I mean, when you find out there's elk in the area, they and they're going to keep coming in there and using it. I, I think we killed three elk. We killed three elk probably within I don't know 300 yards of each other, you know, in, in an area because it was an area that the animals go through. And like Chav said, they might not go exactly. You know, they might avoid it by 20, 30, 50 yards, but they don't vacate the area. I, I to to what we've seen, you know. Yeah. Yeah, even that one year that Gilbert killed that, uh, you, you killed one by uh, a fence line. Yeah. Uh, the, when we went back a couple of days later, there was a herd just moving into that same area. The fence line. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. And a bear. And a bear. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, you know, it, it, it will attract other kind of animals such as bears. So if you have a bear tag, that carcass is going to be great bait. And, and when you approach a- that area, man, you need to approach it with caution. And I think that's the main reason yes. that the elk probably, you know, shy a little bit to the side because exactly. that is attracting to a predator, you know. Because so. they're yeah. trying to stay away from the coyotes and the, the yeah. and the bears. Well, the good thing mm-hmm. is they have something to eat, so they're going to leave them alone, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree in general, uh, not long. but I mean, I, I don't know that it would spook the elk out of the area. Um, for long or, you know, in, in a big radius. Well, I, I think. I'll give you another example. I can't tell you how many times we've been working an animal, had blood on our hands, blood out, guts out, everything. Everything. And have another bull come in on top come of in. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Happened to me and RC and Brendan when we were mm-hmm. breaking my bull down. 
Yep. yep. I mean, if somebody had, had their bow, they'd have killed another elk. So I hope that helps you out, girl. I I think, Aubrey, that uh, those are great questions. I think they're good questions for a lot of people because a lot of people think that once there's an animal that's been killed in there, you might as well not go back. And that hasn't been our experience. We really don't. You know, the areas that we find elk moving through, the areas that they like to to be in, they consistently like to be in there. And and we, you know, have killed multiple animals in areas. So. So... From West Virginia, we have Mr. Tim Curtis, and his question is, we know the first thing to hunting elk is finding elk, and that splitting up gives us our quickest chance to find them, but my question is, what distance apart is too close for the groups to hunt? Uh, I think that's a great question. For example, we have identified a good-looking basin, and it looks like we can split and be a mile or so apart and be in good areas. Is that a good game plan to help locate elk, eliminate an area or the first day or for the first day or two? Or should we have greater distance between the groups? That's the first question. I think I can. Yeah, let's, let's work on the first one. Yeah. What do you think, Luis? Yeah, we, uh, I, I think all of the above, Joe, in our case, honestly. <laughs> uh, because, because we do try to initiate, I think, I think initially, I think initially what we see is we're spread out more mm-hmm. on the uh, on at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh first few days our groups are more spread out. Uh it depends on our e-scouting as well and what areas we have identified and then as we start to hone in and realize kind of understanding the patterns better, seeing some of the sign, then you see our area of search to narrow into one, maybe two areas, and then the groups are going to be a lot closer. Um, and, and we've we've been so close to each other to where we've bumped into each other out in the woods without oh, yeah. planning to do so as well. So I think it has to there. There's <clears throat> a progressive thing. You, you start out with your e-scouting plan in place to where you divide and conquer, but then you start honing in and then probably your search area narrows down based on, you know, the information that you're gather, gathering from the different groups at night when, you know, you get together and share information. That's at least what we do. Yep. But how far would you say we are approximately in, like when we've taken areas that we've been about, how far have we been uh, uh, apart from <laughs> We've been two to five miles at yeah, times. I, I was going to say, say five we, miles. Were, we were five miles that time in Colorado. Mm-hmm. What? Where? You think we were five miles apart in Colorado? Two to well, when I killed my bull, y'all dropped in three miles from us. Y'all dropped in. It had to be two and a half, three miles. That was a yeah. That was a long. That was a long walk. <laughs> I remember that. Mm-hmm. And that that first morning we were. Oh my God. We went way over on the but, other side and we were. But we, sometimes I, we way over fine. seems way over because you drive a lot to get there and then you kind of curl back in and as the crow flies, we're not really all that far apart. I, I, I would say I, a couple I, miles for, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but again, to my point, I think that as the hunt progresses, we tighten up. We, exactly. we tighten up, right? I mean, yeah, we, you yeah. know, we get a lot closer to each other to where like, Hey, Beto, you know what? We saw a bull over here. We drew on that bull and spooked it out. Beto goes there to the exact same spot next day and kills that bull. 
You know, it's just like, and we weren't far from that either. We were probably a couple of miles from there because we had honed in into an area where we had seen the activity. Same thing when, when we were uh, in Colorado, when we realized that altitude and with the elk were hanging out. Yeah. I mean, we were all like, hey, the elk are at, right at 10,300 feet. Yep. That's kind of what we've seen every sighting. So all of our search area was right around that height on the relatively on the same ridge too. So it, it just depends of how quickly you hone in into the area where they're hanging out. And, and I opinion. think it, it also depends on like what type of area it is. The more open it is, you know, and stuff like that, yeah. there might only be more space. Yeah. yeah there, there might be certain areas and that area might be you know, 10 miles away. I mean, if it's really yeah. dense and thick and it's got a lot of big country in there up and down, <laughs> you could be closer because just a ridge line is going to keep you separate. Mm-hmm. You could be a mile apart from each other, but in a whole different world and being able to hear something totally different. Um, but, and it depends on the, the type of guys you are, like how far you're able to walk and move and everything in that day and how much you can cover. Because, I mean, I drove an hour and a half from our group to check out an area, you know, um, in Colorado, I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was an hour and a half away yep. to check out from everybody. Mm-hmm. So sometimes your plan might consist of, all right, what's it like over here, <coughs> this spot, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and like Louis said, we kind of spread out and that could be anywhere from a mile to daggum 15 miles, right? Yes. And then check out areas. And then we, yeah, then we zero in, we start sure. then, and what we did there is after I found the group that I found, you know, and like the area, shoot, we picked up camp and, and moved. And then, then <laughs> we the hit that area probably about, I would say probably anywhere from, depending on the group, some of the guys were probably only a mile and a half to two miles apart, right? I'd say we were hitting this area to find out and locate where they were in there. So we kind of then refined like exactly like Louis said, and then, you know, uh, we start to zero in on certain places and then how to hit those elk in there so that somebody in the group, I mean, gosh, we all hit each other one time because, uh, you know, you start following bugles and stuff like that. You're they help you're bring you together. Up, yeah. You could definitely end up mm-hmm. in the same place. Right. I mean, well, there was one, that one time in New Mexico where yep. we were after the same herd in different and, directions. Uh, we yeah. were chasing it from the bottom up and then, you know, Beto was coming in from the top down mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Beto and Chav happened to make the kill at the top and we were coming from the bottom and we just happened to bump into them right after the kill. Thank so, you, Jesus. And, and because the elk, <laughs> the elk were going through the places, the same places that elk like to go through. So, you know, that can pull you together. I, I swear to you, man, me and Chav, we could start out in two different directions yep. and end up in the same place Have. You know, just because no. we end up finding the elk sign, following the elk sign and getting into where those elk are congregating and it puts you together, man. So, yeah. um, yeah, no, to answer your question exactly like that, you know, depending on the type of country, can that split be a mile or so apart? Yes, it could. Could it be, you know, two miles apart? Is that a game plan to help eliminate, area on the first day or the second absolutely man Definitely. divide and conquer 
come back with information, and then share that info, and then devise a plan to be able to do that. And if you think it's too many in that, and you can always go, well, I still think this is going to be a good area. And while everybody else hunts that one area and broken up in it, you can go find elsewhere. I mean, Cole did that. You know, when we were in Colorado, we went to that yeah. one area that was a good five, six miles yeah. away, right? So, yeah. And I think this is also, like, prior to this is important to mention yeah. the scouting, right? you got to come in with a plan of the areas that you want to hit. Right. And then and – then, and then, Eliminate you know, areas that you yeah, want to sa- – Save yourself time into uh, coming in with a plan and uh, – because, you know, sometimes our hunts – are limited in number of days that we can spend out on the woods. For sure. And, and in your e-scouting, I think it's a really important thing to mention is in your e-scouting, learn the road systems that are there, man. The trails and the road systems are there will be huge in connecting the dots, getting in between in and out of areas quickly and quietly so you guys can save your feet some uh, wear and tear as well. Um, that's what, man, when we got to Colorado and we started understanding where these old roads went and stuff like that, it saved us a ton of wear and tear on our feet yep. uh, getting to the top. Elk and, 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 I'll go ahead, Luis. No, no, go, go for it because I was just going to jump to the next question. Elk hunting is about efficiency. That's right. It, it's about your efficiency and locating mm-hmm. elk. It's about your efficiency on getting into those elk and your efficiency on closing the deal, man. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, it's all about efficiency. Successful elk hunting is about mm-hmm. efficiency. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Going back to um, Gilbert's comment about Colorado, um, that's a perfect segue for the next part of the question, which he, he says is a random question. And he says, when you hunt at Colorado, where the mosquitoes awful during September, my wife and I just flew out in mid-July and did some hiking Boots on the ground scouting. We battled and lost to the mosquitoes anywhere from 8,000 to 11,000 feet. Never had issues in September in Idaho, but just wondering if I need to uh, a full body mosquito net come and September. And, and no, we did not. <laughs> we didn't have any problems. Oh, we didn't no, have any we were, mosquitoes. We were real close to a body of water too, man. So yeah. we didn't have a lot of mosquito issues. Well, what but happened it, it in got Colorado? Cold. What happened in Colorado this year happened Monsoon. in New Mexico, man. Our, our June was the wettest June we had. And I mean, <clears throat> here at our house was treacherous, man, at the beginning of July. Yeah. I mean, from June to begin. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. unbelievable. But now, last night, my wife and I were outside on the deck last night. 
um, not having to deal with them. You know, you get some of those cold nights, it gets rid of some of those mosquitoes. You're still going to have some of those slow laggers in the morning that move really, really slow and stuff. But we're getting ready to deal with that. I mean, we're going to Canada, and from what we're hearing, man, right we're now, moving. the mosquitoes are treacherous right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you don't have that problem when you get there, bud. Um, and it's yeah. a, you know, you're going to be, you're going to have britches on, you're going to have sleeves down, you know, to your hands, and you have gloves on, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, uh, if you get the right type of stuff that you <sighs> skin that doesn't smell, you can keep them off of you, right? So. Hey, hey, Beto. Um, yeah. What time is it? Well, you know what time it is. <laughs> it's time for the Oak Bros shout outs. If you're new to our show, this is our followers of a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Yeah, yep, and I'm going to send out a reminder, man. Uh, Luis, dude, that was perfect, man. <laughs> that was awesome. uh, I'm going to send out a reminder that on our next show, y'all, you heard it earlier, is our 200th episode. And for those folks leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or giving us a comment on our YouTube channel, and this is very important, you have to include your name and where you're from. We will again be placing your names in our Elk Bros. Spin a winner wheel. Spin a winner wheel. <laughs> yep, and we're going to be spinning that night for something special. It might even be more than one spin that night. Well, or, ooh, you know, we might even do something with our live audience because we're going to be live on YouTube. And and look, if you want to know how to find us, just go to YouTube, um, do a search for Elk Bros, subscribe to our channel. Turn on notifications, and as soon as we go live, it's going to pop up that we're live, and you can join us. And and we really are excited about this being our 200th. That's why we're calling it, you know, the journey episode. And, you know, we want all y'all to be there. We're going to try to communicate as much as possible. Um, Luis will be sharing all the wine that he's drinking right now with all of us. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) we'd love to. And it's going to be unleashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it will not be unleashed. Yeah, Joe. Yeah. Oh, come Joe, on, Joe. 200 episodes got to be. Got to be unleashed. <laughs> it's a celebration. Doesn't mean we got to scare everybody off, man. So. Oh, what? <laughs> They'll be attracted to it even more. <laughs> we, we have unleashed and we have like. Over the daggum cliff, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, yeah you know, for those that have never seen the over cliff, over the cliff version, you'll have to come on on one of our coach tops to see that. That's a real treat. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Show up well, at one of definitely. our hot camps, man. Old Charlie Newberry, man. He got a he got a hat full, yeah. you know. So Charlie was just like. <laughs> a deer in the headlights. Whoa, man. I didn't know these guys were like that. Yeah. You can't have thick skin when you're Shout out to our brother, Charlie. Yeah. Henrietta, Texas. And, and, super dude. He's and, just a super and, dude. And his credit super guy. coming back. So either the food was good or we didn't offend him too bad. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Chad, why don't you lead us off on our top listening city, brother? Okay, this will be a treat. Uh, this top listening city is home to the largest man-made urban forest and the largest landlocked city in the world. The financial capital of South Africa. Yes, that's right. The top, the top listening city is coming to you from South Africa. 
The city has over 10 million trees. Manano, that's a different country, just so you, in case you didn't know. Yeah. One of my favorite Sorry, Chav. I'm, I'm sorry. I uh, we just wanted to clarify for, for Manano there. Uh, quite all right. <laughs> the, the city has over 10 million trees and is also called the City of Gold due to its proximity to the, the abundant gold mining fields. Its infrastructure matches leading world cities, but the cost of living is far lower. And this wow. is in Johannesburg, South Africa. Johannesburg! Wow. Yeah. Oh. Joburg, they call it in South Africa. That's a pretty cool spot. <laughs> man, we had to give it, man. South <laughs> Dagum Africa. That's crazy. <laughs> That's one continent we don't uh, normally don't get uh, top listening city from. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I'm going to pop the bubble, man, because not only did we get one top listening city from South Africa in this shot, we got two. We got wow. two in there. And, wow. and guys, the listens, I look at that, the listens were, you know, they topped Denver, who's usually our wow. top listening city all the time, man. Out man there. you guys send us your name. We'd love to give y'all a shout out. Oh, who's, who's giving us Way listens cool. out of Joburg, man. I, uh, I spent a lot of time down there between Johannesburg and Cape Town and, and the oil fields. So oh, here we go. Really cool here we spot. go. <laughs> <laughs> He's even been there. I have. I have, dude. It's, it's uh, a be- one of the most beautiful places I've ever been, man. For sure. The Cape, Cape Town's gorgeous. Joe, you know, we flew into Joburg and went to Cape Town from there, but, uh, the place is just, I mean, I tell people all the time, it ain't Africa. <laughs> it's not because I've been to the West Coast and the East Coast and Joe and South Africa ain't Africa. But, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's beautiful, man. And you know, I, it's so cool because I get a visual like graph that shows the world and and it yeah. it shows the number of listens in this large purple circle you know cool. and generally all of those are there in the US and a bunch of them up in Canada, Canada. and yeah. and you have to have so many listens before it ever shows up there and and I was looking at the graph and I looked and I saw these two big circles over there at the tip of Africa man I was wow. like what the heck man <laughs> that was just That's too crazy cool. yeah. very cool very cool. Very cool. Manano, you're up next, brother. Yeah, no. I am. Uh, but I just wanted to see how Luis uh, pronounced Johannesburg. How do you pronounce how, how You want to see it or you want to hear it? Because I can show you if you want to well, see it. Yeah, I said I want to see it because I want I want, I want to see you, brother. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see it, I just did it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Up next. I, I, I still like his capabilities. I hear that every time, man. And I just want to capabilities. Okay, yo. Those guys are next. Man. This shipping and refining center is recognized as Tree City by the Arbor Day Foundation for its abundance of three and 11 parts. If you are trying to figure out where we are, the city is three miles north of the Oklahoma border at the confluence of the Walnut and Arkansas River. And it was previously named Walnut and Adelphi before settling on its present name. Any idea where we are? Any ideas out there? You guys, come on, come on. What are you saying? It's pretty easy, this one, Joe. Even (laughs) Banano can figure out. (laughs) <laughs> this is Arkansas City. Arkansas. 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 Yeah. Arkansas City, Kansas. Kansas. 
Canes. Man, you, you're so wrong, Joe. You gave him trees and threes, <laughs> like left and right. Yeah, yo, that, that's the listeners right, yo. can't figure what? out what we're talking it's, about here. Are we talking about yo, numbers or trees or what? You know, I mean, it's just between, it's between so Joe. Up. This time, I think it was Joe because all the time, is, you know, when they see beaches, I know. Yeah, yeah, like white sand. Pristine waters. I, I, I think one time on one of those, one of the cities, they they don't have a single beach, and I created like six of them and put them in. There. <laughs> Gave them a whole shoreline. Oh my gosh! Hey, I thought you handled it awesome, Manano. I, I understand. Yeah, you're you only gonna have to speed it like five times to get <laughs> yeah. speed. There, no, but Manano, it was uh, brother. It you, doesn't you, matter. You nailed it, Manano. You nailed it. I, sure, Arkansas City. <laughs> yeah, good job, Manano. Man, I've just I never heard of. Wait for my response for the next podcast because we're gonna be on leash. <laughs> I had never heard of Arkansas. I'd never heard of Arkansas City, Kansas. But I, one of what? my ball players paid. Yeah, one of my ball players, Paige Scanlon, just committed to Cowley College, and they are in Arkansas City, Kansas. A junior college in Arkansas City, Kansas. But you haven't she slept or eaten there yet, right? Haven't? No, but I'll have to. I have to go by there and check Paige out playing uh, this year. Shout out to Paige. We're proud of you, kiddo, for committing to go play softball at Cali College, right. Arkansas City, Kansas. All right. Yeah. Neat, Arkansas neat City, Kansas too. is like saying Texas City, Oklahoma, or something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or, or Denver City, Kansas. Yeah. I mean, Denver City, Texas. Yeah. yeah. Denver City. Up next, this next city is located in a subtropical woodland and is known for its coal mining industry. It's known far and wide for its world-class big game hunting and fishing. Do we have your attention yet? Home to Denala National Nature Preserve, uh, the Morocco National Park, and spectacular Mokolo Dam. Because of the overall lack of water, it's home to Matimba and world's in the world's largest direct cooling power station in Lefalali, Limpopo, South Africa. Limpopo, uh, man. Limpopo, South Africa. Right here. Glad go, Joe gave that to me. I bet you did pretty good, but I'm telling you, man. Dude, I, I was, I was if anybody's been there and could pronounce this enough to be yeah. Matimba. Limpopo. Matimba. Man, uh, Limpo, I've, I, yeah, again, back to, uh, big game hunting. I've heard a lot of good things about Limpopo. So, oh man, um, the, the concession's beautiful there, man. Dream of mine for sure to go there to, to Africa. Me and you uh, both, brother. That's right, man. We gotta do it. We're gonna do it. Next up. Next. Yeah, we got, uh, place right alongside Cohansi River and originally home to the indigenous Leni Linapay, uh, which means regular people. Rich town is known for its rich history with a historical district covering a quarter of the city. Want a great evening there? Then start it out with dinner at Vito's restaurant, followed by desert at Terry's custard and finish the night out with some visual 17th century history and drinks at Potter's Tavern and none other than Bridgetown, New Jersey. Bridgetown, New Jersey. How you doing? Bridgetown, Bridgetown, not Bridgetown. 
Yeah, I, I showed my redneck spell in there, too, because he said it exactly right, followed by the desert at Terry's Custard instead of dessert. Yeah, that's a dessert. <laughs> the desert. It's just a very sweet desert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With all that custard in the desert. <laughs> What's up next? You know? Well, our main content, Joe, we want to give a special thanks to our Elk Bros, Bros grinder and listener to Mr. Richard O'Neill from Cali tonight. Uh, our topic was inspired by an email from Mr. Richard. So, you know, the topic tonight is elk response scenario mistakes, misreads, and, and what to do when that happens. And we've all been there, Joe, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, we kind of want to talk about our mistakes and that we've made in, in dealing with the responses and uh, how folks can either misread the situation or, uh, even, or the response and, and, uh, make mistakes on the approach and, and and really calling as well on, on or they do both you know they have mistakes with calling and reading the situation and a lot of it has to do with not understanding what the elk are saying right so i mean we're going to dive right into some of mr richard's scenarios tonight and, and, and then some of our we'll own, probably mo- yeah we'll yeah. probably move into some of our own cuz i mean you know when we talked about this earlier we got so many scenarios that we can talk, talk about just from the last couple of years. I mean, I can dive into 14 years and pretty well call them down, but man, I, we'd be here for another two or three podcasts. So yeah, we'll yeah. start with some of Mr. Richards and uh, the boys know which one's going to start off. So Louise, you'll start us off on uh, number two there with Mr. Richards scenario. Mr. Richard says <clears throat> 730 AM in, uh, uh, hiked in about two miles from the nearest road and camped out on a small flat shelf high up. Heard bulls all night long around us. Woke early in the next morning to hunt through a location bugle from our bivy and instantly got a response 200 yards from us in what appeared to be a small open feeding area at the edge of an aspen grove. Again, we've, uh, we moved in quickly, got the wind advantage, threw out another, threw out another bugle and bam. There he was, 70 yards in front of us, but covered by trees. I quickly but quietly moved into our pre-planned L ambush shooter position, and my wife bugled. At this time, and this time, raked some, tree. raked some trees, and again, the bull went silent and grabbed his cows, then walked out of my, my life. Yeah, so, Walking to... Yeah, uh-huh. No, no, that's just the second part of it there. Yeah, but yeah. So what I want to do is just give a little bit, because this is so cool. I got the email from Richard. And, you know, there's actually a scenario before this. The cool part is, is that Richard was getting into elk with his wife, with his hunting partner. They were getting into elk. You know, he's done a lot of stuff to get himself ready to locate elk, and he, which he was doing. The problem was, once he got responses, how he was then, you know, the choices Responding that he back. was making after he got that response, where yeah. he would end up with an elk either shutting up completely which everybody has dealt with or you know um uh end up you know moving in and never getting another response you know different things that happen to him or move in on something and get busted by one right there's those types of things so i think this is a a great thing to to start with on his here that you know breaking this down look it's 7:30 a.m. They heard elk all night. 
that drives you crazy, man. It just gets you pumped, you know, all night long. He gets out and he gets a response from a bull 200 yards away. He goes ahead and moves in, gets the wind right. Now, for us and everybody that's listening to this, each one of us have got a perspective of hearing an animal at 200 yards and what that looks like. Some of you in northern Idaho might be that you got thick trees and it, you know, you, you have no idea, you know, you're going to move in close on this animal. Some of you might be in upper part, seeing in the upper part of Colorado where it's, it's real open. You got a lot of parks. You got some aspen. You know, you could be like us in New Mexico where we hear it and we've got broken, we got a bunch of oak brush and broken pine. All of us are going to see this a little differently, okay, when we do that. But he gets a response from this bull at 200 yards, and then he moves in, gets everything, sets up, gives another bugle, and then the bull answers at 70 yards, okay? Now, this is where how he responds to this, you know, take a look at what he says now. And then what do you guys think? Because now he says the bull went silent, grabbed his cows, and then walked out of the life. Now, I don't know right. if he saw the bull grab the cows or what right. happened there. Yeah, but his wife I, bugled. His wife bugled yeah. again after they got set up. Mm-hmm. And he already had eyes on him at 70 yards, right? And they bugled. Well, if he's got cows with him, it's over. He's leaving. Yeah, or he's going to challenge. One of the two, right? Yeah. And he would have never had the challenge had he introduced a cow or a cat. Exactly. Or not even said a word and seen what that bull was doing with his cows in there, right? And if they if they would have just thrown out one cat, lost cow call or anything, see what his his pulse was there. But I don't at seventy yards. I'm trying to figure out a way to slip an arrow in this guy. Well, and and, and to your point, Beto, I, I, I mean, we always talk about not talk, talking directly to the bull. Yeah. Um, and and just kind of making your your own deal to where you have your own cows, you have your own scenario, and then trigger the curiosity on the bull to come in and check you out versus challenging the bull directly. Um, you know, I, I, in my opinion, short experience, um, I think that bull figured, hey, there's a potential challenge here. We don't know yeah. how strong that bugle was. Yeah. Let's just get get out of here. Let me gather my stuff and, and, and move out of the way and keep my cows. And if he was he- hearing bulls all around him all night, Joe, wh- mm-hmm. why don't we start off with a location bugle? Why don't we start off with a little cow call? You well, know, something I, you soft know, around him, you know. I, I, don't, I don't question that as much, you know. Um, I think... Uh, so if he was hearing the bulls, it kind of depends. Like if he got out of the bivy and the bulls were still bugling already, you know, uh, or they were sounding off on their own, I'm moving in without saying a word, right? Yeah. But if, if there's, if there's nothing there that is, is sounding yeah. off and he's yeah. trying to like, okay, now where are they? I have no problem with the location bugle. It's non-threatening. It throws it out there. I don't know. Answered from mean, a just being another bull in the area can be threatening. Sure. And, sure. <laughs> I'm going yeah, but, I, but I think I think the I'm damage cow first. But that I don't think that caused the damage though. The the oh, damage seemed to have happened after the after bulls the bugle when they were yards. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. he gets a bull that responds from 200 yards. And now now here's what I want to do before I even go any further because look, I had to ask him. I sent it out there. Most people when they think about scenarios, they yeah. don't consider things like time of year, time of season, yep. time of yep. day. 
you know, because you've got to think about all of that stuff when you're dealing with a bull. Because if this was September 1st, I might be handling it a little bit differently than I did when I heard that response than than handling it back here in September 25th or so right around that, right? Yeah. Because early on, we, you know, we've got young bulls that are gathering cows. We got big bulls that are staying off. It's a whole different situation than we got, have to assume, you know, when we hear, you know, those bulls that were going off that night, that's rut action. If you're hearing multiple bulls going off, there's a hot cow in the area, right? So that means there's a, there's bulls most likely have to assume are cowed up. You have to assume that in Colorado, when we were there, think about that, man, even the young guys had one or two, right? That they didn't want to lose. Right. So think about that. Now, when they were 70 yards out, I totally agree with you, man, that at that point in time, I'm probably doing something to try to either pull that bull over to me, either thinking that there's a hot cow in that area, like Luis is doing doing our own thing, Mm -hmm. or I'm going to experiment with a lost calf to see what he sounds off there. You know, um, maybe try to get the cows to commit to come over. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the problem, y'all. Whenever you bring cows to you, you have to understand the bull's going to be lagging behind. So that means you're going to be dealing with eyes and, and critters coming to you first into your area before that bull does, right? You might get lucky and have that bull pull off because that bull hears a calf and thinks that there's a cow in the area as well and pull off of it. But you got to think about all of these things when you do that, all right? But I, I told you, agree with you. I think once, even at the 200-yard mark, if that bull responds at the 200-yard mark, I might be experimenting at that point. Yeah. Out even moving into him there. But he got in and he saw him in front at 70 yards. Now, you, there's a lot of things. Like I've heard Gil say you can watch and see if you can make a play. I've heard Luis say that you could use a calf call better than that bull because again, you were dead on Gil. Once I give a bull bugle at that close, <laughs> it's either it's put ready. up or shut up for that bull at yeah. that distance. Okay. Yeah, man, he's wanting to see something too at that distance. You know, I mean, maybe the trees are covering you, but, uh, and covering him, but man, when you're in that tight 70 yards and he hears somebody bugle, oh man, you know, it's fight or flight for him, you know, and, uh, he's, if he's not going to stand there and fight, he's going to hit that little roundup bugle and here they go. You know, they're going to run right out of your life, brother. And then you're up his six the rest of the way trying to figure, you know, how to get him back, you know, and uh, that's not an easy trip, you know, not an easy chore if he's going up and you're down below. Um, they can, they just, they don't have a problem doing that, man. They can get, put the distance between you and them really quick. But like Joe said, man, if you can get his cows interested in you, that's a total different ball game. Yeah. And if you could sound like a, a hot cow down there that's, not, you know, not coming to the party. I mean, that may make him interested if he doesn't have a hot cow. If he's got a hot cow, he ain't leaving her. You know, he's actually going to push her so well, the other, other bull can't get after her. You don't her. always have to introduce a bull with a bugle. No doubt. You know, yeah, I, be you know he said that his wife did some raking. You know, yeah. the, the raking Monk. without the bugle might have yes. been enough. 
Definitely. Right. And even a glunk, you know. Yeah. Or the type of bugle that you use. You might have used yeah. instead of just using a, you know. Challenging bugle, just a, just a mild. Um, you might have yeah, demonstrated just a mild round You might have Even like a bow call, cows. you know. Yeah. A you bull know. mew, or even a a weak chuckle. <laughs> that scenario, Joe. What's that? You want me to go to the next part of that scenario? Yeah, let's go to the next part of it. Good so question. he says, walking to track and locate after after that event, right? Uh, then they later in the dark timber on a bench picked up a small herd up again, about a half a mile away. And they accidentally bumped them and watched them crash through the trees like a out of control freight train. Did some lost cow calls in an attempt to stop them to uh, no avail. I mean, you know, damage is done once you jump them like that. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't, you know, I don't think there's there's something that will stop them, especially when they all spook. It, it seems like they all saw them. Yeah. No, and you're right, man. Once once you blow it, now there's a couple of things that can happen there, depending on how thick the area is. You know, we've had it where, and and look, if it's the cows, man, so many times, sometimes those cows, when they do that and they blow out of there, there is still a chance because a bull just follows. Man, if you do something, like if you do like a, a, a bark chuckle or, you know, uh, something that is just going to get his attention or do something where, you know, you, you do a bark over there on the side, maybe you start doing some cow calls there, you might have an opportunity to slow the bull down, you know, if you give him something else, but those cows are not going to, once they see you and spot you, they're blowing out. Now, they might just go over the ridge if it's thick. And just sit over there till everything calms down. You might have another opportunity that way. But I, I wouldn't really try to, if the bull has spotted you and he's running and everything's going like a freight train, I'm not even going to cow call at him at that point in time because I'm just kind of now educating him a little educating bit. Educating him, yeah. yeah. Yeah, at that point. But yeah. And, and he said he did some lost cow calls in an attempt to stop him to no avail. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen, man. They had already had you. You know, and they're heading out of Dodge. So what about anybody else here? Can anybody think of a a scenario that you've had that you just didn't play the response right and learn something from it? I can remember a couple of times this happened to us. You know, we walked to the edge of a ravine, and it wasn't very deep, but it was about 50 yards wide. And I remember you, you using some call calls in a, Six by six came out of the the bushes, and he came to the edge of the ravine on the other side. But we were in a position where we we were kind of we just kind of ducked and waited. And he looked around, did see that we weren't in that area, and then walked back away from us. And then he called called again, and he came right back to that same spot and surveyed the area, and no, didn't see anything. Walked back away, and he did it three times. And I think what we learned from that was, you know, after he walked away, run across that ravine and get to that spot. Move and he, and he would have come right back. And that happened to us twice that I, that I can remember. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a lesson that some people don't, don't realize that, uh, when you do call and, uh, you get a response, but if you're not in, in, in a good position, 
And again, uh, going back to calling in front of you instead of behind you makes a big difference too. So that was a lesson. What do you mean we, by that, Chav? If you call that. in front of you, how does that make a big difference than calling behind you? Okay, well, he kind of pinpoints where you're supposed to be at. Mm-hmm. And when he came out of the bushes and looked and uh, surveyed the area, <clears throat> well, he didn't see anything because we were, we were ducked down. <clears throat> if we were to call behind us, maybe he would have he would have come across that ravine, but, uh, you know, he wasn't going to go anywhere. And that's happened to us twice that I can remember, you know, in the past. And yeah, there were, was a, there were a few lessons out of that, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. And, and one of them is, is elk want to confirm visually, you know, so even like the, the situation that we just talked about <clears throat> with you in there, Richard, if you would have used a decoy possibly in there, mm-hmm. you know, there might have been a whole different play on that. And a lot of us don't think about that, but, and we should because elk are so visual, man, that yeah. a decoy can actually change the whole situation. But Chad brings up a big mm-hmm. thing that I always want people to, to learn and to listen to is that how an elk approaches when they come to an area, they've actually already checked that and they feel safe in that approach. So generally right. when they go, they're mm-hmm. going to go back the same way. Or if you shoot an animal, they're generally going to turn and go back the same, the same way that way they just came, came from. You know, mm-hmm. um, they almost always do that. So if you have a bull that does come into you, responds and comes in and hangs up because you're pegged, basically you can't do anything because he would see you or peg you, and then he gets bored and turns and walks away, get your shooter to move up Up, so that you are at the within effective shooting range of that last place that they showed up, and then throw those calls back behind you to pull that bull again. Now it's got to be, when that person moves up, they got to get up there quick, and they got to get up there silent, man, because you're going to make them think that, hey, we're, we're back here, and you can make noise with footfalls, breaking sticks, doing yeah. some cow calls, make them think that, oh, they're back over in that area, they will come back into that same direction where they just came from. So there's a couple of lessons there about them being visual, about understand how they're going to use the area back and forth like that, um, and how, you know, sometimes you get caught in a bad position where they should see something that they don't. And that's really, that just happens sometimes. It's just an old crap moment. Um, you know, if you had the better choice and you could set up, you want to set up where that stop and scan, what we call a stop and scan spot, that location that they're going to be able to come through that they should see the animal that's calling them. That's what we call the stop and scan. If you can be in position to where those stop and scan locations are, you're putting yourself in a better position to be able to kill that animal. Okay. Yeah. But I, you know, I just want to throw this out before we get going too far on this is that there are common mistakes that I see people make all the time um, when it comes to elk and, and these situations. You know, one is, is that we're just not really, we're not really sure where to set up or we will, we'll start approaching an animal when we should be setting up or we will set up when we should approach an animal. It's like, it's a tough dance to figure out for some people, right? They're not sure, you know, should I move in on that animal, you know, and, and we're going to go over a scenario here in a minute where it's going to kind of prove that, but finding that position is a dance. 
You know, and what, what I try to tell people is this. That dance depends a lot on terrain and how thick it is, right? The thicker the, the vegetation is, the more the room you have to move up on yeah. animals and to set up. And if you have two people with you, man, it's just that the shooter is going to, def- is going to determine the setup at that point. You know, that collar can just stay and that shooter move up and the, the collar just wants to be able to see the shooter, not see the elk. You know, it's okay if that person gets in position back here and doesn't see an elk coming in on them. That's not their job. They can see their shooter, and they can tell if their shooter is seeing the elk, and then they can read off of that. But, you know, you read, that shooter is going to go up and get that position. If that means that they have to sneak up there, and then you're going to make noise back here, well, it still works for you, man. But that shooter does not want to make a call if that caller is back behind him because now they change the location of where that elk is, and you've just eliminated anything that your caller can do for you. All right, back there. But that's what I see is if it's an open area, it can still happen with a with two people. It's tougher solo, but with two people, that doggone that caller can move up. Especially if it's something where you've got a little hill down, there's any kind of screen, you can get in position and then let your collar pull that bull by you. But you have to be careful because if you have made a sound and it's more open and now you try to move up, that elk is standing somewhere with those ears up like this looking. Yeah. And looking for movement. And if you are within a hundred yards, you're within 70 yards and you've made a peep and now you're trying to sneak in and they see that, that's a predator moving in on them and they ain't going to say a word. They're going to turn. Yeah. They're going to go out. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think you'll, that, uh, that answer the next question, if I may. Yeah. It's go ahead. Early. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And base camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, 
Invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Just after sunrise, timber forest with deadfall. Threw some cow call from my Google tube and got cut off with an incense response from what it sounded like a very immature bull, 50 yards away in the trees. Moved in quite quietly, but never heard or, or saw him again. Oh, yeah. So you just described that yeah. perfect scenario. He was in, I think he was in that bubble. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, the, the bull tight. saw him, or even yeah, he was tight. just waiting for that movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And 50 and, yards away in, in, in a really, you know, kind of an open area, it's just nothing. They, they are, they, they, they can catch any, any movement pretty, pretty fast. So what are some things that he could, could have done there? Because you're exactly right, Manano, man. You know, they've made a call. Look, I had the same thing happen with two of my buddies. You know, we were in two different, we were supposed to be in two different areas and I was in one location. They were supposed to be in another one. I get up and I get a bull responding and it's a little bit on the open. So I'm actually throwing calls behind me. I'm getting the bull worked up. He's in a wallow. He's doing all this stuff. Well, the other two guys hear this activity. And so they start moving into the setup. That wasn't as bad as the fact that as they were moving into the setup, they were cow calling. As they were approaching, they were cow calling. They announced that there were cows coming in. And what do you think that bull did? Yeah. He's, he's looking for those cows coming yeah. to him and he catches them sneaking in there and it's a done deal, right? So, but what could, what could they have done differently instead of him moving up to try to get him? Just wait. Just wait for, for, if the, if, if the bull was within 50 yards away, yep. I mean, and, and he got cut off, he just, he, I mean, I would have. coming. Yeah. yeah, I would have wait. Just wait at least 10 minutes. Just, just to see, just to, you know, pay attention to the wind, pay attention to any movement and hear the woods. That's it. And get, and get, and get, in a, in a position that allows me to, to draw. People. Right. I probably would have took my bugle tube after a couple of minutes and I don't hear anything from him, Joe. I probably would have took my bugle tube behind me and probably softly cow called behind me. Maybe even a little chuckle, uh, just a real simulating as yeah, if you were going away. Yeah. Yeah. But I want everything behind me. You know, I don't want to project any sound towards him. At all, because I'm in tight already. But me, if I'm in fifty, if I'm in between in fifty yards, I'm trying to find him. You know, I'm trying to see his feet moving in the brush. I'm yeah, trying not moving, to, trying to find him, but you're trying to no, find exactly him. my eyes, using yeah. my eyes, trying to find him with whether I'm using my range finder, trying to look through the brush, whatever it may be. I'm trying to put eyes on him. Fifty yards is 
tight, man. I mean, something's, you know, he's got to move some way, shape, or form to get out of there uh, around you. So nine times out of ten, I'm not saying a whole lot when I'm 50 yards inside him, right? I'm probably not going to say a whole lot. I'm like Manano. I'm probably waiting, seeing what he's going to do. Is he coming? You know, yeah. is he not coming? I mean, I'm listening, listening for branches to break, you know, him kicking a log, him moving his antlers, you know, I mean, there were a couple other yeah. things you probably could have done, like raking antler or something. That, that's right. I, I have seen bulls just staring to, just to, to, you know, looking for something two or three or even four minutes, minutes. without any, yeah. without any movement, just you, know, you think about the bull you and I had a standoff with, Joe. How many minutes do we have a standoff with that bull? Yeah, no, yeah, it eight was, minutes, eight minutes. But you know, eight minutes, bro. He yeah. stood there and, looking for something. But Manano hit it right off, man. I mean, the guy. There's no need. He replied immediately. Cut off to a cow call. There's no yeah. need to introduce a bull anywhere because Never. it's an immature bull. There's no need to to introduce a bull. In and if he cuts you off immediately, that bull's coming. There's He's no coming. reason at that right point. There. At that point, you're dropping down. You're looking for shooting lanes. You're getting your. You're checking yeah. around you. Checking your wind. Yeah, you're yeah. making sure the wind's what can screw you quickly. Well, the wind can you kill where you. That scent line is right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The wind can screw you so fast, man. Yeah. Like you, you think the bull's coming, and then he just shuts up. Yeah, one look, you hit your puffer, and it's going to him. King's axe. He got over. He got you. Yeah. Time to move on, baby. <laughs> at, at fifty, at fifty yards, Richard, man, when, once that bull sounded off, you had the fish on the line, man. All you had yeah. to do was drop down. If your wife yeah. was with you and it's really, really thick, you know, and let's say you did drop down and you didn't see anything for a while, well, Manano's right. Sometimes, especially a younger bull, they're just going to keep listening, man, because they yeah. don't get themselves in a bad position. Mm-hmm. And if it was a really thick area and the terrain allowed it. You could have just had your wife start moving back and doing cow calls moving away. Yes. And I guarantee you that booger would have followed up in the vapor trail right there. Yeah. So within 50 yards, I think it's, uh, it's time to, to turn the, uh, the GoPro on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I, yeah. I, I'll harken back to something that happened to me and Chav on a fence line where we had, you know, six, seven bulls within 12 feet of us, man. And every time they'd get nervous, they'd smell a little something funky or something like that, man. I think Chav had some bad feet odor or something like that. I don't know. They'd smell a little something funky. They'd get nervous, and the whole pack of them would want to leave. Well, as soon as they'd do that, I'd move my bugle tube behind me and just lightly chuckle. Man, dude, they'd all look, and we're like, hey, man. What was that? And then I'd lightly cow call. And I mean, they're less than 30 yards from me, 40 yards, but they're all fixing to leave. They were fixing to bug out. They didn't like what was going on. How many times do we call them bulls back, Chev? Oh gosh, at least a half a dozen. Yeah. And they're Maybe all immature more. bulls. There weren't no mm-hmm. giant bulls in there. Couple, couple five by big fives. And then there were some raghorn bulls that we knew that if we could just get them to commit, we got them, you know. But again, man, it's about reading their body language. And if you can't put eyes on that bull, it's hard to do that. You know, it's, it's hard. So sometimes, man, the softer stuff, again, man, don't call to the bull. 
call away from yourselves yeah, and sure yeah you call or move away from you while while that's going on you know hey, right. RC man do you can you recall any scenarios for you that you know things just um ended up happening that <laughs> left you scratching your head <laughs> yeah i could go on all night <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean all of us could. yeah there's there's several Joe that uh, you just you're you know you call and you go okay this is this is it it's gonna work and all of a sudden it's like well it didn't work why you know and so you're scratching your head wondering why it didn't work in the same way as uh, uh, that fifty yards I mean. Man, I, I just feel like you needed to have some patience. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. just lots of patience and observe and everything else. And then, like you said, if his wife was with him, I wouldn't even have her, uh, call. I would have just had her walk away and kick, kick the tree or kick, you know, a rock or something and make the sound like you're, you're leaving oh. and, um, but yeah, Knox, I mean, Knox, you called a giant bull in for me way up on the side of a mountain one time. And how long did we have a stare off with that bull? How long did oh. he stand there looking at us? That was how, how far was he? Maybe 15, 18 yards out of them jack pines. Mm-hmm. And he's standing there staring at us. But how long, did, how long did we have that stare off? Yeah, it was, you remember? See, oh, no, I mean, it was seemed like forever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just... RC's looking at me from behind, and I'm looking back at him, and he's like, and I'm on my knees, man, and he's looking at me. Do you see him? I'm like, no, but I mean, he, we heard you could hear his guttural growl in front of us. I mean, we knew he was up there, you know. And RC's like, why don't he steps to my left and looks over? There. He don't <laughs> see nothing, yeah, man. Okay, I was trying to think which world that was. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the one that I was on my hands and knees and I crawled out real, real slow and yeah. looked around the corner and he's looking at me like, "Oh, there you are." Yeah. yeah. Again, man, yeah. they shut up and tried to find you. And this was a big bull, had a bunch of oh, cows yeah. with him. You know, and RC managed to pull him off in a latch ditch effort. We were up there all day and he's like, I said, man, just hit that hyper call one more time. And he did. And that bull erupted off the side of that mountain. And here he came. RC said, are you ready? I said, I'm, I'm born ready, man. Absolutely. And then it was like, he come in there about, 50, 60 yards and bugled, 25, 30 yards and bugled, felt like he was sitting in our lap, and then nothing. And it, part of this is my fault because I set up behind the jack pines mm-hmm. instead of got in front of the jack pines. Yeah. If I get in front of those jack pines, I shoot that bull, I arrow him walking mm-hmm. in there at 20 yards, man, because yep. it's a real narrow little corridor that we were in right there with an aspen forest on our left side and a bunch of jack pines on our right. I know I messed the setup up. RC did everything he was supposed to. I just didn't move to the front of the setup. So never could call that a bad thing on RC. That was just my inexperience of understanding to get to the front of that cover. Right. Instead of keeping the cover in front of me, I kept the, I, I, instead of me getting in front of the cover, I kept the cover in front of me and that hid the bull. And so when RC stepped around to look up, the bull's looking at him at 15 yards. 
And I mean big giant bull, you know. And when the bull runs off, I mean all the hell breaks loose. RC looks at me and he goes, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk about this. He said, I'm sick. <laughs> I'm like, what's up? And he goes, the bull was right freaking there. I'm like, no way. He goes, I'm telling you, how could you not see him? I said, I did not see him. But goes back again when Joe called that bull in for me to 30, 38, 40 yards. That bull stared us down for eight minutes and didn't do a thing, but try to figure the scenario out, right? I think 100% we've got to use a lot more patience in our calling setup, right? And, and and I'll tell you, though, sometimes, though, it's just a total misread. We actually think and, – and I'm going to give you the most common thing that I see happen to just about everybody out there that's elk hunting is that you get out there and you get a response. This bull is responding to you because you have location bugle and he sounds like Aah! when he does it. And you're thinking, oh man, he's engaged with me. And so you kind of, you, and he's not that far away. He might be a hundred yards. And so what do you do? You do a setup and you're waiting and you're waiting. And then, you know, you're like, okay, well, I'm not sure where he's at. So again, the patience thing, but you end up giving a call and now he bugles and he's 300 yards away. Yards away so yeah. now you end up running to cut the distance. You're coming in, you get up there, you go ahead and you give uh, a, another bugle out and that bull, rawr, he gives this real short scream like that. And you're like, you're like, man, he's engaged with me again. So what do you do? You set up, you're waiting, Gone. you don't hear nothing. You give a bugle and now he's another 300, 400. <laughs> and yeah. the misread is, is that we think that that bull is talking to us and that yeah. bull's not. He's actually doing either a roundup bugle or he's displaying for his cows, letting them know where he's at, saying that don't pay attention to that bull. He's talking to his cows. He's not talking to you. And while he's standing there on the rear because that's what he does, those elk are moving, those cows are moving up, going someplace else. He looks, they're gone, boom, he starts taking off. Now you (laughs) give a bugle. What does he do? He responds, but he's just further, and it's because he's not really engaged with you and you think that you're doing something wrong or you think you're scaring him and you're not you're not Mm -hmm. man he is just following his cows to a destination you always have to ask yourself anytime during the period that you have something going on with an elk is that animal at a destination or going to a destination if it's at a destination like if you're down in a park and you heard them coming down the hills and it comes inside there that's a totally different deal because he's coming to where you're at or he's at a destination you know rather than if you were up high and they were bugling they were coming down and you're in the chase basically on it and you don't realize that you know a lot of times we hear we get in tight and we hear that bull do that it's going to sound like this. You're just That's going to hear up. that, man. He's not talking to you. He's, He's talking not. to his cows, man. And he could just be, or he gives that little roundup. Just like that. Short. Yep. Nice short one. He's rounding them up and he's moving them out, man, because you have just become a threat to him. You'll know when he, when he sends a bugle talking to you, it'll have so much, 
um, passion in it. It'll have so much uh, growl in it because he's furious with you, man. And it'll be a he, little he, longer he, when he does it. It will be a it'll be a quite a bit longer, man. But it'll be. I mean, you'll just hear it, the inflection in his voice. He's actually talking to you. It's not that, like Joe hit those two type roundup bugles. They're short. The other ones will be long, and then some of them will have a, they'll bark like that and then hit the bugle. When you hear something like that, it's on like Donkey Kong, buddy. I mean, (laughs) you can bark and do it back to him, and you better get ready because that'll be the last sound that bull will hear. You know, he's coming. I mean, yeah, he's coming. When you hear him, I mean, dude, it, it will make your hair stand up. I promise you. But that's the thing that I was saying is I really see that a lot of times people just misread what is going on and they think right. that, you know, they're in a setup when they're not, you know, and if, if you have elk going to a destination and not at a destination, you have to realize that. And you have to always remember that that bull is back behind the cows. And if they're going to a destination, you had better get on the parallel downwind, down thermal side of those boogers and try to get up ahead of that bull to where they're going. Because now you're getting yourself up where the cows are and you're going to put yourself in better position. So that's something to think about there. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, Richard had a, a, another interesting, uh, it's not really a question, it's more of a comment. And he says, the hour was about 8 a.m., and we got a response from the bull a couple of hundred yards into the trees at the top of the meadow. We cut the distance, and once we were an estimated 100 yards or less away, found what appeared to be the perfect area for a setup. We moved to a small clearing about 60 yards long, with a win advantage, I was the shooter, so I asked my buddy to fall back into the tree line, fall back into the tree line, and throw some cow calls, as the bugles are seeming to scare bulls off. Well, I moved. Well, I moved. Well, I move into shooter position. I am unsure if he heard me or ignored me, because while standing in the wide open clearing. He sent a loud bugle from his tube. I, lo- I looked ahead to see the silhouette of a nice-sized bull stand and run away as my heart sank. Opportunity blown again. Well, I think the main lesson learned there was uh, you need to talk about what your setup's going to be before you set up, you know, maybe the night before, and also coordinate some hand signals so you know exactly what I want. You know, go back there, you know, call, call. Yeah, yeah uh, and you don't want to bugle from a clearing, man. Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> I definitely don't. You don't want to do, do it, that. man. Yeah. So, in the cover. It, but I think if they had their single, side, their single set up. Yeah. Because if that bull is going to bed down, he's going to bed down just inside the trees right there. Yes. He's going to have a good view of everything going on. You're standing out in the middle of the clearing and you bugle. It's like, you know, you're sending up a red flag on that. But yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and man, look, get on the other side of that 60 yard clearing, man. <laughs> don't, don't let that bull look into that clearing. Get up in there, you but, know, get up in there where he's got to hunt you down. He can't, he ain't seeing you in that clearing. Well, you had two, you had two partners not on the same page there and that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, uh, 
Yeah. You know, Joe, I, I've got one scenario that I think all guys have seen this happen, and it happened to me in RC in Colorado. I, I'd already killed my bull, and I was calling for RC. And uh, we knew we had some hunters around us and stuff like that. But when we we got in there early one morning, and uh, we kind of just sat around the bike and stuff like that, and, and uh, did a couple of location bugles, nothing, man. We get a few cow calls, nothing. So we decided we'd start into the wind and it was just about daybreak, right? And we get up in the gray light and we get up to this area. We know it's going to open up into an opening. And on the left-hand side of that opening up on top of this ridge, there's three good bulls down there in this, in this bottom, right? And, and we know uh, that, you know, the, we got the wind okay. It's kind of a crosswind, right? So we don't want to push out to the right of them because that'll give them the wind. So if we can get down below them and get behind them, man, we got a shot. So, but w- when we look up, it's a big ridge top in front of us to get on top of to go around them. And there's like this ravine that's in between us, right? And I'm like, and they're not that far. They're a couple hundred yards, right? I'm like, well... You know, here goes nothing. Where I pushed RC up to the to that ravine. Mistake number one. Okay, if there's a barrier between you and a ridge, you need to get on the other side of it. And I told RC when we made the setup, I said I'm probably messing this up, but if I can call that bull down here and make him think there's a hot cow here and another bull, you know, it's going to be okay. Well, RC pinned it right. He goes, unless he doesn't see elk, you know, and that could be, that could be the whole, the whole thing. We should have crossed the ravine and went up the other side and got in the thick stuff and called those bulls to us. Instead, I get RC positioned right there by the ravine. I back off and start doing my thing. And sure enough, bulls did exactly what we thought they'd do. Bulls come right up to the top of that ridge. RC can see their feet walking up through there. They vacated being out in that park and here they come. They just, you know, and I see RC looking at me and he's motioning me to go on away. So I just start taking off calling. Well, they stop at the edge of that ridge looking down in that ravine and they don't see no elk, baby. Right. And it was just the setup was wrong, but I know everybody that's out there has done this, man. You, you give them an opportunity to get a stop and scan spot and they don't see what they need to see. Right. They're like, uh, 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 not today. Right. I hear what's going on, but we don't see what's going on. And, uh, they're so visual, you know, um, and I screwed that up. I knew, I I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I should have went across that deal and got up on top of that ridge and in the thick stuff and those bulls would have come right to us. You know, the other thing that they do too, bro, is, is yeah, they're visual, but sometimes we call bulls in and we're getting them in close to us and they're within 20, 30 yards and we're making, you know, we have another caller back there, but we're not adding any other type of environmental noises. No foot stomps. No, you know, oh, no, I was breaking trees and yeah, breaking it sounds, branches. It sounds too quiet for what we're yeah. expressing. Or, or yeah. we see the animal coming in and we just shut up totally and they're not hearing a thing. And it's like, why am I not hearing elk? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Things like that. So I, I we, just, like I said, I messed that up. It was, 
And I kind of figured that right when I was doing it too, you know, and I know RC did. He's so gracious though. When you hunt with RC, I mean, he's, he's teaching while he's hunting. He probably knew that it was the wrong way to set up, but he wanted to let me run everything and, and run that string out. And look, I mean, it wasn't 10 minutes later, I, we get another bull to answer us and we call that bull in and then some guys rode up our six that, uh, rode up the bull six that they smelled him in. But look, man, I, I learned so much in that deal. Um, I know that if we would have made that, that one little, uh, adjustment is to get up on the ridge instead of falling and letting, trying to let, call them down to us, it'd have been different, you know. Hey, Luis, man, do you have one? I do. I, I'm going to try to make it quick because I know we're, we're kind of running out of time here. You know, my, uh, we all know my, my calling career is not long, but I've already made enough mistakes to where I could probably, you know, spend a whole podcast talking about the mistakes that I've made. But, you know, um, I can recall quickly a couple of them. Uh, one of them was actually when I, fir- I was first starting to call. Um, I don't know if you recall this opportunity and, and Manana as well. The three of us, um, you know, got a response from a bull up in the ridge and Manana and I went up to kind of, you know, try to gain ground with that bull. Um, uh, Manana was hunting. I was filming. Manana and I got up on the ridge and Joe kind of got behind us and, um, Joe called in. This bull and, um, I was kind of probably 50 yards back from where Manano was at set up. And then this bull was coming on a string. Manano took a shot at it. Um, a great shot. Uh, we later recovered that bull, but, um, there was, there was more bulls up there and we wanted, uh, I had already harvested and we wanted Joe to, um, get an opportunity next. So. So we did the old switcheroo and, you know, at that point it was like, okay, man, we, you know, I got to jump in and try to help out here and see if I can call in for Joe. And, um, so Joe kind of went to the front, I went to the back and in my mind, I knew there was a bull on the top of the ridge. Um, we were all in the, on the top of the ridge, but then, um, you know, I was thinking, okay, I have to do my own scenario. I have to do my own thing. Um, I'm a bull now. I've got cows with me. Um, in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play scenario to where I'm actually going to move away from where the bull is at. Um, as if I was a bull moving away and then I'm gonna play as if a cow was kind of left behind. And then I also may try to make a calf, you know, being left behind. This bull was kind of coming in towards that that set but the bull got close enough to where it hung up and then when it hung up it started barking um it was so early in my career that i had no understanding of what barking meant so i kept on my scenario and i kept on moving my cows away and then also the direction in which i was moving away i couldn't really see exactly where joe was at so i was kind of moving it away in the wrong direction. Um, you know, the bull never fully came in. He hung up and then eventually left and Joe never had an opportunity to shoot that bull, shoot that bull. And then 
uh, yeah, we were super happy we were able to recover Manano's bull, but at the same time, there was a big lesson for me to kind of understand the meaning of the chuckle, right? So um, the bull was asking me to show myself, and I I ignore that request, and I just kept kind of kept playing my own scenario, and eventually the bull lost interest. He didn't feel like like he was responded to, so I'm sure he thought, man, this is kind of a shady situation. If I would have in turn actually responded with a chuckle at the time, uh, maybe the, the bull would have been like, yeah. okay, like a bark, uh, yeah, bark chuckle back, uh, bark chuckle that, that the, the bark is what I meant. Mm-hmm. Um, then, then that could have changed things, right? So, you know, at that point, I realized the importance of actually understanding the language and, and, and what they're saying and what they're requesting and how you respond to that. So that was a big lesson for me. I mean, I was so, and look, it, this took a while. I mean, it was, I, I remember working and calling for a while there and trying hard. I so wanted to be able to call something in for Joe after he's done it so much for us, right? And uh, so that was a hard lesson for me and, and something that definitely triggered uh, me kind of looking more into understanding the language of what these, these animals have to You know, to go to back say. to Aubrey Strickland's question, though, about <laughs> earlier, because we also realized that where that bull was hanging up, where he didn't want to come was where Manano's bull was down on the ground, actually. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it actually just kind of kept walking around Manano's bull. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it was because, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, well, what's going on with you? You know what I mean? It was, kind of, <laughs> it was kind of weird. Yeah. You know, how, yeah. it, it wasn't like spooked. It was almost like <clears throat> getting up. It was a, it was, yeah, it was a little something ain't right. Curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something's not right here. So yeah, the, the way that happened, but I, you know, I think most people, most hunters misread how, you know, the response that they get. They mm-hmm. don't understand that the bull is either just talking to his cows, either rounding them up and moving them out, and they continue to bugle instead yeah. of maybe taking – look, I always like to take a lover before a fighter approach anyway myself, you know, especially um, that time of year, late in the season – you know, you've got satellite bulls looking for cows. I'm absolutely at that time, man. I'm going to try to, you know, go cow heavy first, even calf heavy. You know, if you're worried about blowing out that, that, uh, lead cow like that. So, um, you might want to change your strategy in that way, but I think that's most of it. And I think a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of guys that hear a bull at 400 yards and they set up. You know, instead of cutting the distance. Or then you have somebody that hears a bull at a hundred yards and they respond like what, what they, you know, did here and they feel like they have to get a response. And maybe that response was to a cow call and now you bugle and introduce a bull when you don't have to. Look, give them what they're responding to. Give them what they asked for. If you gave a, if you gave a location bugle and they responded to that, well, what kind of response was that? You know, give it some time, man. Is it coming a little closer? If it's in within 200 yards, don't go charging in. Kind of check out what's going on from there at that point in time, right? You know, so, um, and then sometimes we're 100 yards, we get a response, and our response is to cut the distance when, no, 
you know, we're already in that bubble right there. You're risking right. something unless mm-hmm. unless you're going to do a Mohican sneak in and, and you have eyes on them and you got a feeding yeah. bowl in a park or something like that that's putting his head down, then yes, by all means, go in and do that. You don't have to now call and let them know that you're coming and put right. them on the alert, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and pinpoint yourself to them. Yeah, man. yeah. Yeah. And, and and let me tell you, another common mistake is, is that partner hunters a lot of times turn themselves into solo hunters because they yeah. stay with each other all the time. They have the security thing instead of like, I have a bull responding. Well, shoot, man, let my shooter move up on that bull. You know, yeah. let me hang back and just kind of work in as I'm going. Right. Well, Does that and, ring and, a bell with and you? that's a yeah, yeah that's a perfect set way. To, to the other quick event I wanted to share, and this was in Colorado, me and Monano were kind of on, on a top of a flat there for a while, and, um, you know, we were resting, and then I was testing different diaphragms, and uh, I was kind of being loud, testing different diaphragms that we thought, you know, we weren't seeing much sign, so nothing's happening, and all of a sudden, Monano is like, did you hear that? And, uh, I was like, no, I didn't. I was like, he's like, call again, keep calling. And so I kept calling and all of a sudden, yes, definitely heard, um, a response. So we actually got set up and, uh, you know, Monano got into the tree line, you know, where it was thick. And then I kind of stayed at the top of that, you know, flat mountaintop. And, um, there was actually a low down. There was a blowdown tree with a big, the big roots were out. And so I was kind of in the hole of where that tree, you know, snapped out of the ground covered by the, the roots of the tree. And I was calling from there. And this, this bull was actually coming, like trotting towards Monano coming towards us. It was a perfect situation, but the bull hung up relatively close. I don't know, Monano, how close was that bull? Uh. I would you say the 45. 45 yards. Yeah. And uh, he just stood there for a while, kind of assessing the situation. And I, I really didn't have a way to actually move further back and continue to call. And, you know, I kind of kept on soft calling at that point as if it was just cows. And, and I just lost patience. And I, I, I thought the bull was gone. And so as soon as I came out of that hole on the ground to kind of try to see if I could see anything, um, sure enough, that bull saw me, um, because he was on the side of that, the top of that ridge and he, he was able to skyline me. And, um, when that bull saw me, he just turned around and just took off running. Manano was super close to actually, you know, having, being able to draw and shoot that bull. And so, my lack of patience there in that situation actually was the lesson for me. You know, you know, some, sometimes you, and that's the difficulty of, you know, sometimes not being able to see what your partner is seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just kind of having to be patient to, to kind of wait and see how things play out and continue to be, uh, to call and, and just kind of in your head assess the situation, even when you can't see. Yeah. 
And, you know, a good thing to do there, too, is maybe even periscope. Like if you're on a ridge like that, try to be in an area where, you know, at least there's tall trees or something back behind you where you're approaching it so that it kind of screens you a little bit. And just slowly periscope your, just your eyes over the top of the ridge and try to catch, you know, yeah. what's going on. If you get that itching thing to do it, just don't go up on the ridge and, and skyline yourself because that'll mm-hmm. – you know. Yeah, so, sometimes the topography won't allow you to do that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, right. But you know, and that's where you really have to be patient. Yeah. And I think it. I think it, if there's one thing that we've learned tonight in a lot of these situations, is patience is the key, right? I mean, there's a lot of scenarios patience, that patience and understanding the response. The language, getting, exactly. Right? Yeah. Understand. I, I, for me, my the game changed for me when I understood what elk were saying. I knew when to pursue, when to not, when to go to bull sound, when to go to cow sound, because I know what they're saying, you know. Right. That's a big deal, man. And, yeah, there's so and that's many- the summary of my two experiences, right? One is, okay, understand what they're asking or what they're saying or, you know, how to respond to what they're saying and, and to be patient, right? I mean, and just like play the situation right based on what you're hearing from them and just let it marinate. And also always take in everything, you know, ask yourself, you know, what's the time of day? Are we going to a destination? Are they at a destination? You know, if it's first thing in the morning at daylight, you know, and, and we're, we've got good coolness and they're going to stay down there for a little bit, you might have a little bit of time in there, but as soon as they start to move off and go up, they're going y'all and you had better get after it. That's where the midday that's where that midday, if you can stay with that group and you can stay off on their side and you can parallel them, you might have a chance to get into them. But if you don't, once they get to where they're betting, now you have a captured audience there. Mm-hmm. And now sure. when they're captured, you get to choose the playing field for your setup and you get to use some of the techniques or the scenarios that we talk about to try to pull wow. them to you instead of directly engaging. And that's a whole different podcast there. And we've done it already. Just go on <laughs> to look for podcasts on, you know, engaging versus disengaged calling that we do. Um, you can find that in our academy as well. You know, those types of things that help you. But most of the problem that people have with going up and, and dealing with the response is they don't understand the response and they're not sure how they, sh- how hard they should move up. I'm very aggressive, but there's a point where you move in that you have to slow down yeah. and, and you have to assess. It's kind of like, down and hurry up. Yeah, and and what it's kind of like I, I was talking to one of our guys in the military, man, Bob, and I was telling him like when you come in, like Luis, when he was checking that area, you have to really assess your closest threats, those areas close to you, and then you move out to those other possible places that an animal could still be in a stop and scan when they come over. You want to assess close your near threat to your far threat. So you want to look for that when you're doing that as you're moving, if you are moving in. But once you have a critter that in there in a destination and they're only 200 yards away, you know, or you're even above where they could actually be moving to you, then you've got to play that smart, man. You look for those setups and you look for a way to bring them to you, right? Yeah, we, and to that point, as far as the time of the day, uh, last year as well, Nano and I uh, were down on the, um, on that area where you kill your bull, which I think that's the same bull that we were chasing that afternoon. Um, 
you know, he responded to us from a different, from the ridge across the valley from where we were at. And then, you know, we were trying to figure out, are we going to really try to call this bull in, which is honestly what we were trying to do initially. The wind wasn't completely right, but then at the same time, we felt like he was moving away. And it's like, we got to close the gap because it's getting late and he's probably going opposite uh, direction to where we were at. So we got to the next ridge and realized that he was on the next ridge over. So <laughs> it's like, man, you know, this guy, I mean, there's no way we're going to catch them up. Right. So, I mean, I think the time that we took to realize what that bull was going to do and not understanding where he was headed because we didn't really know the area well, um, just we, we burned some, some good daylight in trying to close that gap and getting close to that bull as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of the, go ahead. I think go ahead, one Arthur. of the, uh, lessons that we should all learn is that there is going to be thousands and thousands of these things that, that you're going, that happen and you can't get discouraged. You just got to hold your head up and say, okay, well, what, what could I have done different? Or, or, yeah. And take everything that, I mean, if you're going to be a true elk hunter, you, that's what you got to do. You got to think like an elk. The more you're out there, the more you'll start thinking like one and acting like one. Yes. Ask Joe. He wallers in it and all kinds of stuff, you know, so, but it's, it is. It's in serious. You can't, you can't get down on yourself, especially if you go hunting and you had like 10 or 15 or 50 encounters and nothing happened. That's when you pick up a bow and you go elk hunting, just plan on it. That's, that's, it's one of those things, you know? Exactly. Good stuff, man. Well, yeah. on this, uh, on this last scenario, Joe, we talked about, um, it says here in the last scenario, we located three bulls about 10 a.m. with a location bugle from the bottom of the thick canyon. Once we found a route to the bottom, uh, we threw out another bugle to hear that they'd moved in closer to us within a mile. The wind was not in our favor. However, it was slow enough that, that if we jogged, we could beat the wind in theory, <laughs> never. <clears throat> Once we got into position near one of the tr- of the three, threw another bugle from atop a large rock. We heard him move in, but due to the vegetation, never got a glimpse of him. He got so close, I actually drew my bow and held it because I thought he was going to walk out into a very small meadow we were set up in. He never spoke again and seemed to get bored and just walked away. But but I, I want I want everybody to pay attention to what it says, 10 a.m. So were yeah. they going to a destination or out of destination? They were at it. They were at it, right? So that's yeah. a perfect thing to get down into there. I, I don't, you know, the fact that he got close, again, goes back to the point where now you had a bull so close to you, and he heard an elk in there, and he's looking for that elk. Coming to find it. But everything went silent. Yeah. Right? Everything goes silent. There's something wrong with this picture right here. So yeah. there needed to be some additional selling point because it's so thick. That elk can't see, can't confirm, is going to look for something, but he doesn't hear anything now to go to. 
The audio, their their ears are the second thing that are going to take them someplace. Nose is going to be last. You know, I think it's. I, I thought it was interesting that they said that they were able to outrun the wind in there. Um, that's pretty fortunate that that happened. I'm, oh, I think you had to get something in your favor, especially if it was ten o'clock. The thermals probably started taking oh, no. the scent up as yeah. well. You know, that helped you out as well. Instead of it dropping down into that canyon, started to <clears throat> pick it up. But you got in the money, man. And, and Richard, if I can just say anything, man, I just want to say this. We're talking about all the, you know, hindsight stuff. We're talking sure, about yeah. possibility, yeah. what ifs. You know, each one of sure. us could have been in every one of these situations and come out the same way. The cool yes. thing is, is you're getting in these in situations. situations. So yeah. you are so increasing awesome. your odds to yep. be able to kill these critters, man. Yeah. So I, I, first of all, I just want to applaud you in doing yeah, that. Now yep. you just got to work on recognizing what type of response you're getting it. Figure out how tight you can get on that animal due to the terrain, due to the vegetation, and then make the decision on what you're seeing, hearing, smelling, whatever, on how you're now going to bring that animal into your killing range. And if you have a partner, do not make yourself into a solo hunter. Let that partner bring that animal past you. Let them go away. You don't always have to move forward. You can let them go away, you know, as as far as that goes as well. That's right. One of the things that I saw that was kind of a a reoccurring theme for him is that they're setting up in these meadows. And I I just think you need to get out of the meadow, brother, and get into the thicker stuff. Because when they approach a meadow, they're looking for elk, man. And if they can see out, and it doesn't matter if it's 80 yards across, 40 yards across, 60 yards across. When those critters approach an area, they can see into that area and they should see some elk activity and they're not seeing it. It's bothering them, right? So cut out of that meadow and get on the edge of where you, where you heard him from. If the wind will allow you, get to that edge up there and calling to the edge of the meadow or inside the meadow 20, 30 yards. Uh, you know, on the edge of that brush and you're going to have a lot better time of seeing him, of getting him to commit in that area in there than to when he stops and scans in that meadow and he doesn't see anything. Yeah. And, and if I could uh, to all of our listeners out there, man, I keep saying they're visual, they're visual, yeah. they're visual. I would absolutely invest in an ultimate predator decoy. Yeah. Have that on me. I mean, just stuck between my back and my pack. They're easy to get on your bow. And it's, it's like Gilbert always says about a weapon. Sometimes it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And 100%. that's the way I feel about that decoy, man. It's, it's, it's done things for us. It's put us in great situations. And I mean, it could make a whole difference in some of these situations there. So that's another mm-hmm. thing that a lot of people, we always think call, call, call. Yeah. But remember they're visual first. Visual. And so if you're calling and they come in and they don't see anything, red flag, red flag. So yeah. awesome tonight, man. That bull right there, that bull right there was succumbed to a decoy. Yep. I mean, Joe had a decoy above a, above a big ridge. We knew the bull was going to come into this uh, lower kind of pond area. He sees the cow up on the ridge. Joe starts calling. He sees what he needs to see, and he walks right into our life, man. 
And, uh, I mean, beautiful example of that. You know, I've seen Joe kill several bulls with that predator decoy screwed on the end of his bow. And, uh, you know, uh, again, don't give up, fellas. Even if you blow a scenario up, we called those, that, that bull that Joe killed, the first one with the predator decoy, we called them bulls back in three times because we boogered them once and yep. shot at one and missed and called the other one right back in there. And Joe, Joe hammers one at about 20, 27, 28 yards and, and ended up almost called a couple of them back for Chab. Y'all don't give up, man. Be patient. Yeah. Those, and, uh, those situations you... are to me the best lessons. No, I mean, no, no, uh, no. Yeah, I always say if, if, if I would have, you know, harvested an elk the very first time I went out there, um, on the very first day, been ruined. <laughs> it, my, my elk yeah, career would have yes. been ruined because then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you oh, know, box checked. I'm ready to move on to the next oh, yeah. thing. This yeah, wasn't, this, this really easy. didn't pose a challenge. Exactly. It took me four mm-hmm. years, you know, he, didn't of, ruin Manano. Of, he killed one the first time, but that's because, yeah. You know. Well, but he was already ruined mentally. Before. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, again, back to those learnings are part of our growth in, in, in our, in, in our journey as, as bow hunters and as, or elk hunters in general, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. We learn something new every year we're in the woods, man. Yeah. Every time we go out in the woods, I mean, we're constantly trying to learn, get better, get better at calling, get better at shooting, get better at identifying new areas, e-scouting, you name it, man. We're always trying to improve our game. And I hope you guys on the show tonight got a little bit of something that could help y'all from a lot of our failures, you know, and a lot of our missteps and mishaps. Brother Richard, we can't thank you enough for sending in all your Great questions. Stuff. And, uh, it was really spurred a lot of great conversation tonight. And again, man, we could do three or four podcasts wrapped up on scenarios and how successful scenarios played out and how scenarios where we, we didn't get what we wanted, right? I mean, I, I think I could think of 20, 30 on each side. So we definitely got a lot more podcast material there if we want to keep broaching those subjects. But if you guys like what we're doing out there, please subscribe, rate and review us at our YouTube channel. And you got to go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review us and be sure to include your name and where you're from to get in on our drawing. And uh, you too can get on that spinner winner wheel and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners out there would like their questions answered on our show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. That's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands, kiss your wives, wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, peace, everybody. I'll make my living working east of town. Late nights in the summer till the sun goes down. I can't stop thinking about how my life's changed. But I'm still the same as I was young. I'll build them bark trees one by one. Made a couple of dollars, built my gas tank once. And I left my high school, barely made it by. But I found my way back, oh how time flies. In the Northwest wild, hunting fish.
Fishing is my kind of style I pluck the wine new She when it gets hot I'm proud of all the things that I It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.